This is your home for St. Cloud State Hockey, keeping you up to date on the NCHC. Women's WCHA. Dana Rasmussen fires and she scores! Dana Rasmussen for the Huskies. The National Hockey League. Kaprizov in for a chance to win it. He scores! Thrill the thrill is for real! Welcome to the NHL, a game winner. And everything from the state of hockey. Cloud Cathedral is now 42.6 seconds away from wrapping up the school's first ever title. Welcome to the Huskies Warming House Podcast Den. Welcome into the Huskies Warming House podcast, episode number 123 here. If you're just joining us for the first time at the Warming House Den or for the 123rd time and change, I suppose. Uh, my name is Noah Grant, and I'm joined by Nick Maxson, who uh, you can't see it now on camera, but was uh, definitely munching away at some... What, what exactly were you eating anyway? Ha. Huh. No, what uh, were you... Yeah, what were you eating? Uh, the Oh, nuts. You were eating nuts. I was... But honey roasted, so give me a break. <laughs> <laughs> hey, why, why, why am I not surprised that Nick likes to eat nuts? Anyway, so Nick Maxson is the other voice that obviously you've heard, and it's uh, it might be a little bit of a show that's a bit nuts today, to be honest <laughs> with you. Um, we <laughs> are great I have start. so many things I can say right now, but that's uh, fine. <laughs> I mean, we I, we did have the explicit tagline on our show for a little bit, and to be fair, I still think we kind of had a, have a pseudo explicit tagline, but nonetheless, uh, we're but, we're gonna bear it all in the open, nuts and otherwise here. Uh, the Nebraska Omaha Mavericks are gonna be on the docket next for our uh, NCHC previews, the second of eight that we are going to be doing. More info on that. That'll pretty much be the entire main portion of the show. A little bit of news uh, in Huskies Illustrated Weekly Roundup, including a particular Minnesota Wild forward that has made his return uh, to North America, and very excited about that. And our extra ice session, uh, we're going to talk all things World Juniors as they get ready to get started uh, just coming up, I believe, on Tuesday, Monday, Tuesday um, of this week. Right. It's yeah. the 9th, whatever that day is. Uh, today is the 6th. It's Saturday, and it's Saturday, August. So Tuesday, then. Yeah, I think it's Tuesday. I don't know. Anyhow, know Tuesday, anywho. anywho there's hockey going on, and we're excited to cover it. So without further ado, Nick, uh, Center Ice View News and Notes and the Huskies Illustrated Weekly Roundup. Center Ice View News and Notes. Center Ice View provides you with the best coverage of St. Cloud State Huskies hockey from game notes, recaps, photos, and more. Go to centericeview.com. Oh, great. Nick's shaking so, his nuts here. Hey, speaking of shaking things up, Noah, time <laughs> for the Huskies Illustrated Weekly Roundup. And yes, how about this? Shaking things up at the top of Hockey Canada's Board of Directors. Yes, yeah. sucking at these nuts. So, um, <laughs> Mike, <laughs> Michael Brendamore, wow, this show went off to a great start. Um, yep. Stepping down effective immediately. So, in all serious, though. Um, as the chair of Hockey Canada's Board of Directors. Um, Brendan Moore's term was set to expire in November, but his decision to leave, Noah, comes after the mo after 
excuse me, his uh, motion to remove Scott Smith as CEO of Hockey Canada was defeated. So, again, this stems back from the multitude of different things we covered on on uh, the, the Huskies uh, Warming House podcast, considering yeah. Hockey Canada. Um, more recently, the sexual assault um, allegations, and more importantly, probably the cover-up that um, was uh, essentially at the top of Hockey Canada. This, again, coming uh, largely from the reporting of Rick Weshead at TSN, and then more recently, Katie Strangle, also of The Athletic, also um, having some great reporting on this. So um, probably was the right decision, uh, to say the least. But nonetheless, it was a decision probably more best described as, you know, the writing was on the wall rather than, someone really coming to jesus per se because uh, no let's be honest had these reports not happen i i would think michael brendamore is not only you know sitting out the remainder of his term but quite possibly getting an extension of his deal yeah i kind of interesting i do know that um he started at hockey canada probably about uh three months before this incident happened so i don't know how much of a role he played not saying he did or didn't i just i don't have the answer to that um the only thing i will say is it does kind of sound like he maybe did recognize a little bit what was going on and kind of maybe call like he said his motion to remove scott smith as the ceo of hockey canada so maybe trying to you know play a hand in it in some way shape or form and then when that wasn't successful deciding that he needed to leave the organization because it's probably the better option so um interesting scenario obviously we're keeping an eye on this one as they go through both this one and the 2003 allegations now too so we'll keep an eye on it as always i know it's been kind of a running theme so we won't spend too much time on it i don't think so right uh not too many new developments in terms of the storyline evolving from those but again when those do um evolve we will keep everybody updated on that but moving forward a little bit hall of famer kevin Lowe retiring from the oilers as vice chair and alternate governor so um how about this though so he's retiring but he's not right when you love the yeah. game of hockey you kind of want less responsibility you want to stay in the game well kind of the same way with uh, Lowe here he will remain with the organization as an ambassador and will support the oilers community foundation and its alumni as a 63-year-old, still remains the franchise's all-time games played leader at 1,037 games. Um, his number was retired, by the way, number four. Um, in November, he was inducted into the Hockey Hall of Fame in 2020 and also received the Order of Canada in 2021. And for those who don't know, that's a pretty prestigious government honor coming there yeah. above the border here uh, north of Minnesota. Isn't uh, uh, isn't it weird that he's the franchise's all-time games play leader and it's just over a thousand games? Wouldn't you think there would have been someone at some point in Oilers history that would have eclipsed that, gotten to like 1,200, 1,300 maybe? But I would I would not be shocked if Connor McDavid is the one to break that, to be honest with you. At this point, it would be him, the one that breaks it. Again, Gretzky, again, uh, blockbuster trade again uh, to yeah. Los Angeles. Um, the Oilers, again, uh, I think legitimately we can say it's, it's technically a small market franchise, all things considered, of the NHL. And, uh, yeah, kind of weird to think that it isn't any one of the guys like you, like you mentioned, Gretzky, Yari Curry, to name like just a couple um, folks who we assume or assimilate them with the Oilers, but still none of them eclipsed uh, Lowe's games played margins. So kind of interesting storyline. Yeah, super interesting storyline. And obviously, uh, um it's a small storyline compared to uh, the other things we have going on in Alberta, to be honest. Yeah, so the the Battle of Alberta, right? So the the neighbors do south by about three hours, right? We're talking about the Calgary Flames, who recently 
um, moved their American Hockey League team again um, out of Stockton. They're now going to be um, very close to Calgary. They're going to be the Calgary Wranglers now, so the AHL affiliate moving closer to home. But the news is actually more about the big club. How about this? So the return for the Matthew Kachuk trade, so one of the big pieces, Jonathan Huberdeau, a uh, big question we talked on the show you know, a couple uh, weeks ago was, can they retain Jonathan Huberto? Well, no, we have the answer. And the answer is yes. How about this? An eight-year, $84 million extension to remain with the Calgary Flames organization. Um, yeah, that's a lot of money and a long-term, yeah. right? So uh, that's huge, actually, for Calgary um, to try to at least maintain some you know, semblance of uh, competition, especially in a Pacific division that um, – Minus maybe a couple of teams, I think still has a lot of competition there for the the bottom third spot. And then also inking an extension for uh, Andrew Mangiapane, three-year extension for him, $5.8 million in its average annual value. And they're Oliver Kylington on a two-year deal worth $5 million also. So the Calgary Flames trying to shore up some talent that they have. But uh, again, Calgary kind of now a tweener team, Uh, you know, again, with the exits of both Johnny Drew and also Matthew Kachuk. Yeah, Andrew Maggiapani, a good little deal for him. And then Oliver Shillington, a uh, two-year deal for him, uh, $5 million. Yeah, it's actually pronounced Shillington. Uh, there you go. A lot of math going on there. That's, um, that's, that's a Buzz Killington moment for me, right? There, yeah, so. it's, uh, yeah. I'm trying to remember what it is. I'm, I think it, it, he's Irish, I think, is what it comes. It's a Irish or Scottish name, um, and it's spelt Kylington, um, but it's pronounced Shillington for whatever reason, I, and it's, if you don't know it, it's it's confusing. So, um, but the big one that obviously is uh, writing on the wall for sure: uh, eight years, eighty-four million dollars, um, just under ten and a half million dollars annually. Of course, that deal for Jonathan Huberto doesn't kick in until after this season. He has one year remaining at five point eight million dollars. The scary thing about this for Calgary, um, I like the deal. Terms a little bit scary because he turns thirty at the end of the season. Um, and then the eight-year deal kicks in, and his average annual value is ten and a half million dollars through his age thirty-eight season. Like, so a couple of things, yeah. right? It's the term. You could look at it as scary, right? And it is. Um, but if you're Calgary and you just lose your two top most productive forwards in the same offseason, and you're trying to have a piece that you can attract other free agent signings to. Again, Jonathan Huberto coming off a record-setting assist season as well down in Florida um, uh, by a left winger, if I recall. Yeah, um, so, yeah most, most assists by a left winger. Like, I mean, I don't disagree. Like, the price point is totally— It's steep. Weird. It's steep. There's no I question. Don't, I, I don't think so. Because well, here's, the th- here's the thing. Seth Jones makes $9.5 million. Would you pay $1 million extra to have the second-highest scoring NHL forward? in the game on your team with a much well, better with a much better line that he's probably going to be on remember he was playing on the second line in florida and kind of carrying the mail and now he's going to have a chance to play with some good players i like the price point for me term i would say five or six years would be more apt but i get why they want to keep him. you know they want to make that statement um and, and, and maybe i should explain what i mean by steep right it's steep in terms of the deal overall is oh, what yeah I mean. yeah so yeah. it's i mean he's worth the ten and a half million <clears throat> excuse me average there's no question about that but if you're Calgary, it's a steep commitment for that term because yeah. it is a gamble, right? Because if if you're able to build around him like a quick retool, then it's worth every penny. But also kind of a steep commitment for Huberto too, if you think about it, because the, with the way the NHL is structured, the way that teams are spending to the cap, if Calgary can't do it and his contract at this point 
is be very tough to move as well. So it's kind of a lock and key for both sides here. Yeah. Um, so, but nonetheless, I mean, Flames had to do it. Um, again, no question on the average annual value, but again, overall, the package is steep and it, there is a bit of risk on both sides in case Calgary slash Hoover, um, either of those go up or down. Yeah, definitely. I think for the next couple of years, I think they should be fine. I think he's going to perform just fine. I think it's just once you push into the last maybe, you know, two to three years of that deal, you start to maybe kind of take a look because players just, they just decline. It just happens. Um, Other signings here, our second to last topic here, just a couple of other signings from the National Hockey League in the past week. Uh, Pretty uh, savvy one, actually, from the Edmonton Oilers here. Kaylor Yamamoto, two years, $6.2 million. That's $3.1 million annually. Uh, he's an RFA at 23 years of age. Uh, he was a half a point per game player, basically. 41 points and 81 games played for him last season. Good little pickup from the Oilers, I think. Um, and the New Jersey Devils, a couple moves from them. Uh, avoiding arbitration with Jesper Bratt on a one-year deal at $5.45 million. 73 sure, points. Yeah, 73 points in 76 games, 24 years of age for him. Uh, and then the other RFA, who's 26, who I believe will be a UFA after this one. Uh, be, yes. One-year deal as well. Miles Wood, one year, $3.2 million um, for him. The other notable move, uh, the former Dallas Star, Washington Capital, and Philadelphia Flyer winger Michael Raffle signed a two-year deal in the Swiss National League on Thursday. So 33 years of age, uh, had seven goals and nine assists in 76 games with the Stars the past season, averaged about 14 and a half minutes a night. So kind of a character guy, more of a role guy, bottom six uh, player, but, uh, you know, 33, still some time to be in the league. So you wish him the best of luck uh, in his next endeavor here. Um, last topic here, Nick, uh, Kirill Kaprizov. Uh, is back in the U.S. and is training in Minnesota. Uh, very welcome news from the story that we covered a couple of weeks ago. Uh, Kaprizov departed from Russia late last week by way of Turkey, touched down in New York City on the weekend, and made it to Minnesota this past Tuesday. Uh, the Athletic previously reported that many European players that participated in the NHL last season, as we had touched on, were without work visas after the league negated them or excuse me, negotiated with the U.S. government and negated them um, to provide exceptions due to the COVID-19 pandemic. So, of course, they have to go through that process. It isn't known if Kaprizov was able to exit Russia because the Wild got him his U.S. work visa, um, according to Michael Russo. So we don't really have an answer on that. Uh, But the important thing is he's here. Right. And there is a little bit of tea leaves there, too, from Russo. It, It sounds like because if you read the article, he did mention that effectively how he wrote it was there was a window of opportunity that arose to get Kaprizov over here. Well, let's think about this, right? If you're a foreign national, meaning you are not a citizen of the U.S., since when does a window of opportunity open up for you to get over to the U.S.? So I believe it has to be work visa related. Um, Now, mind you, probably can't confirm that, but my guess would be is that it has something to do with that because just simply based on everything that we follow with the story and everything and it sounds like when this window did indeed show itself is that it sounded like the wild brass and a lot of other they pushed hard to get him over here uh, to avoid any yeah. sort of complications um so a couple of things are good in the wild brass are keeping tabs on it good for kaprizov understanding um i don't know if and, and maybe not right we don't know if kaprizov really knows or cares or is even involved in the gravity situation the the initial report was that he wanted to come back in september and the wild said even if you have your work visa secure which again i i think russo just simply saying it doesn't really know the answer at this particular moment whether that process still has to be in yeah not sure um but beyond that uh just kind of knowing that uh even if there wasn't any work visa stuff just getting here a couple weeks early is probably the best move 
right and so right and can, with all the rumors right i mean yeah. we, we talked about this a couple weeks back uh and we we broke it down i think in, in pretty good detail no it's it's one of those situations where you don't want to be as essentially the new face of russian hockey in russia Kirill Kaprizov is that celebrity and yeah. uh, unfortunately with some of the powers that be um who have a lot of weight in terms of what they say and what he says possibly goes don't want to be basically a political chess piece so to get him over here away from that jurisdiction and more importantly to try to avoid less control of the situation was important um i'm glad both sides were able to get that done be safe and sound here in minnesota so at least as of right now uh and barring anything like unprecedented uh, he will be in the lineup for the start of the 22-23 season so wild fans can uh sleep peacefully um until the start of uh, the next season yeah, it should be exciting here, um, and we are uh, going to move on over uh, to the main portion of the show. We are going to talk all things college hockey. And welcome into episode number 123 here on the Huskies Warming House podcast. Nick Maxson joining myself, Noah Grant, here for another rendition of NCHC previews. Nick, a lot of exciting things coming up on the show. We are uh, exactly, I believe, eight weekends away uh, from the start of the St. Louis State Huskies season, uh, of course, as they're going to face up against many of their opponents in the NCHC. So excited for that. As far as us, we should have a normal recording time coming up next week with a show release on Sunday, the 14th of August, coming up next week, as far as I know. So um, beyond that, Nick, uh, before we get started into our next NCHC preview, I do want to mention one caveat that I forgot to mention last week about the show and about this particular segment is that uh, we are going in reverse order of what we believe next year, this upcoming season's finishing order is going to be, but the St. Cloud State Huskies will be last on that list regardless. So the Huskies will be the last team that we cover. So we'll definitely mention what position we think um, each team is going to be in because obviously there's going to be a gap when the Huskies um, safe to say um, as much as I know people want us to pick we don't have the Huskies pick to finish first in the NCHC next season that's just kind of where we're at so um, uh, so just hint hint there uh, but nonetheless Nick our number seven team going in reverse over last week was the Miami Redhawks that we predicted to finish eighth in the conference Number seven, and I know this might have surprised a fair amount of people, the Nebraska-Omaha Mavericks here. Uh, and they are a team that are a very curious case. They kind of usually are uh, when it comes to uh, just assessing them each season. I feel like they're they're one of those teams that they're not poor in terms of their recruiting situation, but they're not a cream of the crop team in the NCHC. They're a very middle of the pack team where they get some good players in, but it can be kind of a struggle to maybe grab the extra elite player that they're looking for. But they also are able to fill out their roster quite nicely with a lot of hardworking blue chip, blue collar uh, type players. So uh, they are a team that uh, interesting to note um, as they enter this season, uh, they have 12 players. In fact, maybe even 13 that do not return this season from last year's squad. So part of the reason why we have them at number seven, there's a lot of underlying statistics, and you know I love my stats, Nick, that actually point to a lot of interesting trends from this team last season. And as I was telling Nick before the show, I only added four rows more of stats from last week, so I didn't go too crazy, I promise. Um, 
but the but the Mavericks playing in Baxter Arena since 2015, uh, of course, based in Omaha, Nebraska, capacity of just under 8,000, 7,898, a very nice building, of course, was the host of the NCHC pod back in 2020, uh, 45 games in that building that season, so a fantastic host site as always. Um, Mike Gabinette in his sixth season, along with Dave Noel Bernier in his sixth season as an assistant, Paul Girard in his fifth year, and then Rob Couturier in his second season as the goaltending coach uh, for this group. So, Nick, uh, let's start with that. Obviously, we've been talking a little bit about the rink. So, Baxter Arena, a wonderful place to play, uh, a very yes. unique atmosphere. Uh, and Omaha has kind of been an interesting destination for some college hockey players. It really has. Uh, I mean, let's just name a, a couple, right? Uh, I think the biggest name come out there is, uh, well, Jake Gensel. Uh, yeah. coming out of Omaha. In fact, I was able to watch him at the uh, Debuty League this past Wednesday working on a, a story that I remember working for a, another outlet. Um, so, you know, Omaha has got uh, a couple of things going from uh, one great building. Um, in fact, you could argue one of the better ones in the NCHC. Yeah, underrated um, by far. Very underrated. Yeah. Um, and two, the other thing that we keep hearing from around the NCHC circles, no mind you, I've never been, um, at Baxter Arena. Mind you, Baxter Arena was the host of the NCHC pod back in 2019, uh, sorry, 2020 slash early 2021. Yeah. Um, just how the community around them has really embraced this mm -hmm. squad, right? In a very traditionally not hockey market. Again, we're talking about Omaha, Nebraska. Yeah. Um, Caleb, you know, Caleb Peabody wanted to know, by the way, this is a hint at a listener question, but he wanted to know how many retweet, retweets do we need to send you out to Omaha? So uh let's go with 1000 <laughs> yeah, that's a lot of retweets i thought i was like okay but yeah I, i'd be that'd be sweet to send nick out to omaha why not yeah um and also one of the better you know broadcast ready uh nchc yes. uh arenas as well they do a fantastic job on, on producing too a very similar um student run production to, to husky mm -hmm. productions now I, I might be slightly biased when i say this i mean um, husky productions again my alma mater uh still uh very much uh, at the top of the heap when it comes to uh, college sports uh production type uh groups but yeah. um also nice to see another um nchc fellow school also engaging in that broadcast aspect of it i think that's super awesome yeah um and there and there are other big uh, claim to fame too and part of the reason why the pod was actually held uh in omaha is their access to the state-of-the-art medical facility and the medical team yes. that is down there too so um as someone who works in a hospital, I find that intriguing, quite obviously. So um, other players that were notable, I think if any Maverick fans are listening who know a little bit of historical uh, things, um, I am a 96 birth year. So I played with Mason Morelli growing up, um, who, of course, was one of the more prolific scorers, is now in the AHL, I believe, with the Hershey Bears last time I looked, um, having himself a pretty good career. And then, of course, uh, Jordan Willard was there for a couple seasons from Minot as well. So uh, those are a couple of names that I've got from the U side and then um of course knowing dean blaze quite well just because he was at yeah. the university of north dakota coaching as well too so but you know this team nick um 38 games played for them two more than miami had um in our last preview 24 conference games for them just 12 non-conference games instead of 10 for miami and then two conference playoff games that saw them with an exit uh finishing sixth out of eight with 32 points in the season and then their pairwise finish they finished 23rd out of 59 um with a 5-4-1 winning percentage overall not too shabby of a record last season uh 21 no. 17 and zero they uh had, were uh, over 500 at 553 
Uh, and then uh, their conference record, though, 11, 13 and 0, a 4, 5, 8 winning percentage for them. 14 and 6 at home. They were very good in the uh, aforementioned arena that we just talked about. Yes. It's, it was very, very, much good, so. very good place for them. 7 and 11 on the road. Uh, their overtime record was 3 and 3, including a 3 and 2 record in the 3 on 3 overtimes that are characteristic of the NCHC conference play. So the most number of wins they had last season coming against Alaska Fairbanks with four. Uh, the next team that they had the most wins against last season, that would be the St. Cloud State Huskies, Nick. Mm-hmm. Uh, with, with three, of course, they had that big weekend where they swept St. Cloud in the middle of, I believe, February. That um, was a bad one for St. Yeah, Cloud. It was, yes, a it was. It's a dagger. And I believe, um, if I'm scrolling down to my stats, I think uh, trailing after two, their record is 2-11-0 last season. I believe one of those games was the game against St. Cloud that Saturday yes. night. So um, Colorado College, North Dakota, um, Maine and Long Island, each two victories against. So pretty good fair against some of the other NCHC teams. As far as losses are concerned, though, three against Miami, Denver, and Western Michigan, and then two apiece against CC and North Dakota. So um, kind of an up-and-down season for this group. They didn't tie yeah. last year. Um, you know, so let's start that before we dive into the stats. Is This is a team that uh, quite clearly was a very middling team, and we'll get to why that is based on some of the statistics that we see as well, too. But, I, you know, was there a reason that you saw just from the eye candy test that maybe pinpointed as to a group that had some firepower, had some good goaltending, uh, but just on the surface just couldn't find a way to kind of find some consistency and string a bunch of wins together? You know, it's 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 curious, right, Noah? Because let's go back to that St. Cloud series in the middle of February. They look like a team that, God forbid, they play like that in the NCAA's. That could have been a scary freaking team. Yeah. Um, you talk about ozone possession. They had sandpaper. They were getting goaltending. They were frustrating their opponents. I mean, again, hate to throw out one player, but a certain St. Cloud State former player now uh, had a, a few extra minutes in the box because yeah. of just some frustrations that were being shown. Uh, by Omaha defensively, right? So, in, you know, it was one of those perfect storms. And it was almost like it kind of had to be that way for Nebraska-Omaha. Whereas if you look yeah. at the individual talent pool, nothing really jumps out to you maybe. The depth that they almost have to win by committee. Yeah. And that was sort of their – that's been their Achilles heel now for the past couple of seasons where if, if, if the cylinders are clicking, they're a dangerous squad. However – it's like a deck of cards for them where if one thing seems to be out of sorts, it just seems like the entire thing kind of falls apart. It doesn't really operate as efficiently. So when you, when you talk about Nebraska, Omaha, again, it's, it's, it's consistency, but it's more so just the depth of talent they have. It's just not as deep as we see in other parts of the NCHC. Yeah. And that just creates a sort of, you know, up and down motions that we see. They, they were in a lot of games. There were a lot of close games, but they didn't have sort of that, you know, pull away sort of talent level. And I think that's really what hurt them uh, down the stretch. And more importantly, it hurt them um, in games that it mattered. Yeah. So let's look at some of the trends here. You're exactly right. And this is going to allude to some of the stats that we found. Um, uh, You know, I I like to dabble in the stats from time to time. one the AWS here in the podcast. Thank you. <laughs> here, I, here I am. I am I am North America's Formula One tracker here. Uh six and six in one goal games for this team. Uh when they were outshot by their opponent, they were eight and nine, but when they were out shooting their opponent, they were twelve and eight. And we'll get to why that is in a little bit. Uh they essentially were identical. They were plus point one shots more per game than their opponent. Uh, and they finish with a plus three differential in shots last season, 1,075 to 1,072. Now, Nick, they were plus 26 in period number one. 
Um, mm -hmm. And they were also uh, plus six in period number two in shots by period. But period mm -hmm. number three, they were minus 31 in Whoa. the third frame. So yeah. um, that kind of gives you an idea of, of where they were at. As far as scoring, they were plus 12 in period number one, plus four in period number two, plus three, or excuse me, plus five in period number three, and then overtime was even. So they were plus 21 in their goal differential in the season. So why is a team who is plus 21 suddenly sitting in sixth place in the NCHC? Well, you look at goals for and goals against per game. Uh, they were plus 0.56 goals per game overall. Conference-wise, dash 0.37 goals per game so you see the big big change where they were averaging over three goals per game overall but against conference opponents they were at 2.7 and they were giving up basically an extra um half a goal per game essentially mm -hmm. against conference opponents compared to their regular schedule so they were 16 and 6 when they did score first but when their opponents scored first they were 5 and 11 because it seemed like they just could never get that traction back so um and again the same statistics are followed leading after one leading after two i uh, 13 and three, 15 and four, when they were tied, pretty much dead even, a um, couple games there. And then when they were trailing, they were three and nine after trailing after one and two and 11 when trailing after two. So um, they were not a highly penalized team. They took no, less. Very disappointing. Yeah, they took less penalties than their opponents. They were 25.9% in the power play last their season. PP was good. Yeah, and really. So was their PK too. Yeah. Their PK was really, really good. So I thought that. And then I don't think that. And here's what I mean. It wasn't terrible. They were 150 for 183, which is 82%. They still allowed 33 power play goals last season over the course of 38 games. That's a power play goal a game almost. Yeah, you know, so okay. middling, I think, is probably the best way to put that. Um, when you have a good power play and you have a struggling penalty kill, just as Duluth fans, um, it definitely changes the balance of a lot of things. It does. And yeah. um, so it, it's kind of interesting where they have a stat line where they had some good players. We're going to get to that in a second. They had some really good players. They were a, a very well-coached team. There's no doubt about that. They are win yes. by committee. But this doesn't. This team didn't strike me as the same as the Denver team of two years ago where they no. just couldn't buy a bounce. There no. was something more going on with this team, and I'm not particularly sure what it was. I don't think anybody knows, uh, to be honest with you. I mean, you, I mean, we talked about, at least I talked about the lack of talent. And I think that really does really only kind of explain it. Because, again, we were waiting for Denver two years ago to, to make the jump. We were waiting for Denver to figure out. They just never did. And it was one of those where it was a head scratcher because the record, the statistics and key areas, whether it's even strength, uh, special teams, it was like this team is way better on paper than it did. And, uh, you know, credit to Coach David Carl, um, who flat out admitted it. Um, and then, well, let's say put in the work and, well, look what happened, right? Uh, now a national champion just a year later. Uh, yeah. Nebraska-Omaha isn't that same case. It was more of, again, there, there just has to be some puck luck with this team for them to get where they're at. And I, it's, it's not a slight on Nebraska-Omaha, if anything. Um, if there's one thing Mike Gabinet, the head coach, does, he deserves a ton of credit in terms of the culture he's built. He's a fantastic human being. And every time I've interviewed him for HP um, or for or for other outlets, he's been incredibly, incredibly, just an incredible human being. Um, yeah. So um, he, he cares. I mean, I remember walking down in the visitor's tunnel uh, to go to a, the television interview last season. He was asking me, hey, how's the semester going? Uh, you know, hey, you know, asking him how travel was. And he's like, oh yeah, you know, you know this, this is great. This is awesome. You know, we're going to be doing good and, you know, Hey, have a great broadcast. 
like saying that to me, like that's just the kind of guy that he is. Right. So, yeah, but he's a demanding coach as well. Um, I, I think, again, where Omaha struggles is, is, you know, let's look at the power play. I think I think that's kind of the key is that when they have a little open space, they they take advantage of it. So they're the, they're again, they're that tweener team where they've got just enough talent to be dangerous at times. Yeah. But at even strength, they don't really hold an advantage like the top tier teams that we see, like St. Cloud, North Dakota, at times, yeah. Minnesota Duluth, right? It's just that they don't have that elite talent level up front to really sort of change the tide of the game. You know who I, I was thinking about because we just talked about how they didn't remind us of Denver. You know who they reminded me of from two years ago that maybe might get, be a good example of where they wanted to be and just never got there. They remind me of Western Michigan two yes. years ago, a, Michigan. A, a team that was a hard, heavy, physical team, um, but was looking for that extra punch and was looking for that kind of extra. Um, there's there's teams that are successful by uh essentially hanging in hockey games and yeah, then the, and, and that yeah and that and then the upper echelon teams are that your north dakotas your denvers that control portions of the game yes omaha was not a team that really you didn't look and say oh yeah they control the second period they control the majority of this third period they were a team that was always just kind of in the mix but they didn't have those stretches of dominance where even if they weren't scoring you felt like they were suppressing they were suppressing right. opportunities for the other team and i think maybe that's what it kind of came down to and like you talked about you know as we looked at the scores here four graduate players last year five seniors eight juniors six sophomores and four freshmen for a crew of 27 um their leading scorer, Taylor Ward, um, who was a senior last season, played in all 38 games, uh, 19 goals, 20 assists, 39 points. A yeah, good season a for season. him. Uh, 12 of those goals were power play goals. Holy smokes. Yeah. yeah. 1.03 points per game, a plus zero rating, though. So, again, that goes back. Obviously, you're not going to get a plus or minus for those power play goals, quite obviously. Um Taylor Weiss, the next one, 36 games for him, 33 points, almost a point per game clip for him. No power play goals and only a plus two rating for him, though. Uh, Brandon McManus, who, of course, transferred over from the University of Minnesota. Um, he was same points per game clip, one less point at 32, three power play goals. He was dash one. Chase Primo, the guy that we had our eye on, who was a senior last year, um, 0.77 points per game, two power play goals and a plus one rating for 23 points, and he moved to Notre Dame. That kind of rounds out your top fours there. So like you mentioned, it is scoring by committee. The one that's really going to hurt them, and we'll get to the departures in a second, um, one of them being Brandon Scanlon, who was a junior last year. Um, 0.82 points per game, 31 uh, points on the season, five power play goals, but he was minus 13. So again, obviously that comes with heavy minutes. And then Kirby Proctor, who is going to return this season, um, had 12 points on the season, but plus eight, um, a really good driver of, you know, being a 200 foot defenseman as well. So um, on that side, we'll get to the goaltenders in a second, but you know, there, there really wasn't that player that stood out. Like you mentioned that you looked and said, uh, let's, let's just pick an example from a few years ago, like Jordan Kawaguchi for North Dakota or last year on the back end, Jake Sanderson for North Dakota as well. You looked at those two guys and you had them circled on the lineup, not to say Taylor Ward wasn't circled, but it just, it wasn't a name that was a household name in the NCHC. And I don't know if that's just because he played for Omaha or if that also became because Omaha was a middling team and they just couldn't get over the hump. So, um, you know, was there anybody that stood out for you last season? Um, I'm going to assume it might potentially be a goaltender actually, but uh, it, it, it is, you know, in, you know, at the end of the day, the, the goaltending that Omaha has had over the last couple of seasons has been really, really good. All things considered. In fact, it's, it's complemented 
in a sense, what they're missing up front. But the problem is to get to the next level, right? You do need yeah. that upper level elite talent that can essentially, like you said, you, you it's either like, oh, geez, what's take last week, right? If for Miami, I love big Pearson. He's a guy that you can almost put out there. If you have the right team in front of him, he can steal you a game. He can keep you in the game. He is yeah. that good. Um, despite the numbers. And again, part of it is just the team he's on, but Omaha kind of has that, but uh, you know, we, what we've been waiting for is, well, what's going to, you know, essentially not have to fall on the goaltender's back. Right. And there's, you're, like you said, there's not really a household name or that upper echelon talent that, like you said, where if I'm on the opposite side of the bench and every time that player touches the ice that he's a scoring threat, he's a he's a threat of possession and you have to have your head in a swivel every time he takes a stride on the ice. They don't yeah. they haven't had that in some time. Um, so that is what has to happen next for Nebraska Oman. Now, granted, you know, they're a tough spot, right? As far as yeah. recruiting um, against the same, you know, teams that are above them. Um, traditionally not a huge hockey draw in terms of the community, although everything else around them is like pristine. Again, we talked yeah. about the journey. We talked about the coaching staff and everything yeah. else in between. Yeah. yeah, and great program in general. I know a yeah. couple guys that have played there and they all rave about it. So Yeah, it's just, you know, there's still sort of the new kid on the block on college hockey per se um, because, it, you know, I'm, I hate to say it, but, you know, when you're just a little bit further north, what, three and a half, four hours um, you have a heavy hockey market. You've got many teams that are established teams. And when I say established, I probably should mean like established contenders every year. Um, yeah. So it, it's a tough gig for, for Omaha. But I will say, you know, from where Mike Gabinet has taken over to where they are now, they're still a competitive team. They still can pull off big wins. We saw it against St. Cloud. Again, they can be a thorn in your side. Uh, but to get to that next level, um, there definitely has to be an uptick in recruiting. And again, that's an easier said than done, especially yeah. uh, in this conference. Top goaltender last year, Isaiah Seville, who was a junior, 30 games played for him, 16-14, um, uh, 2.52 goals against average and a 907, just over 1,760 games. He signed with Vegas this offseason. And that brings us to our, our, our notable player moves here. Um, and one of the other main topics that we'll talk about in just a second in terms of goaltending, but a lot of moves here. So let's run through them here. Brandon Scanlon, who would have been a senior this season on the back end, signed with the New York Rangers. Isaiah mm -hmm. Seville heading to Vegas. Um, Taylor Ward um, headed to the LA Kings organization, the, to the Ontario mm -hmm. Reign. Uh, for Joey Abadi, um, was supposed to be a senior. He signed with Boston. He's actually with Providence right now. Uh, Chase Primo transferred to Notre Dame, like I mentioned. The yep. other goaltender, Austin Roden, who's going to be a senior this season, he's headed to Providence. Mm -hmm. uh, and then the other two, uh, in terms of the player moves, Jason Smallage, who's yep. going to be a graduate, he's in the transfer portal still. There's still not any word on him as to where he's going to end up, actually, from what right. I've seen. Um, and he's kind of tied to uh, forward Jake Harrison, who would have been a junior. His career actually ended in St. Cloud on November 12th. Um, uh, a five to one loss that night. And he's been dealing with concussion issues. And it was the last time that he'll pull on his skates for his career. And actually the reason that um, Smallage actually ended up getting his first start um, at that level. And they're actually really good friends off the ice. So he said, when it happened, I just knew the feeling, especially since he's had some history of them. He tried to finish out playing the game, but didn't really feel right. So we told the trainer and the coaching staff sat out Saturday and that was it. So that comes from Jordan McAlpine, who does a great job as a, as a sports editor. Fantastic. Yep. Down in Omaha. So they're missing all of those bodies. Then 
Taylor Weiss, who is supposed to be a graduate if he stayed this year. No word on him. I I have an inkling. I think he signed with Colorado um, because I don't see him on the roster. And then uh, Nate Nepke is done. Nick Nepke, yeah, he's um, done. Kevin Connolly is done. Martin Sundberg is done. And Brandon McManus are all done as fifth-year players. The only notable in is that uh, Jake Pivanka, um, a grad transfer from Notre Dame, had eight points in 25 games as a centerman last season. He enters the fold. And then defenseman Johnny Tychonic, who will be a graduate this year, will stay, mm-hmm. originally coming from the University of North, North Dakota. Dakota. Yep. So, Nick, this season, 24 players on the roster, uh, two graduates, four seniors, five juniors, four sophomores, nine freshmen. Um the scary thing, yeah. The scary thing, though, is Nick. Before we get to these nine freshmen, um, they have two goaltenders on this roster: um, senior Jacob Zab and freshman Simon Likotsky, who had some pretty decent numbers on the international stage. Struggled in the USHL because of the teams in front of him. Neither of these guys have played a game at the Division One level. Nope. That's a scary feeling. Um, yeah. It's a really scary feeling here. So, Nick, before we get to the nine freshmen that we're going to touch on and then we'll finish off with the schedule and some listener questions here, um, you know, you look at some of these guys that they're going to lose in this huge roster turnover, and part of the reason why we've picked this team to maybe potentially finish seventh is they are a mixed bag and a question mark. They did, you know, like you mentioned, they weren't a team that was a real powerhouse in terms of, of, of some scores, but the guys they did lose were some of their premier guys. Uh, yeah. It's a different look this year. It's a big different look and uh you know it, it's one of those where when you're trying to make the next step you know the challenge with college hockey is you understand that the turnover is irrelevant right and when you have these big classes that come in uh, not only do you not know especially with the transfer rule do you retain all of them um number two do they all stay healthy do they all develop like you hope uh, but at some point that group moves on right whether it's a year, two or three years from that one. So you get four, maybe five max out of these guys, right? And this is one of those transition periods for Omaha. And as you mentioned, you know, a lot of upperclassmen leaving or, you know, whether it's graduates, uh, free agent signings, that kind of thing. So you have players that have played hockey at different levels. Again, as you mentioned, the goaltending, especially, uh, which has been their backbone the last couple of years, especially with Seville um, in there. Again, signing with the Golden Knights, as you had mentioned, um, it does beg the question, you know, back a couple of years ago uh, when Omaha, we had them, what, fourth or fifth uh, yeah. predicted up in, up in that echelon. Yeah, I want to say that, fourth, yeah. And a lot of that was because, you know, when you don't have that offensive punch, Noah, you do have to focus on your defensive game and you just have to be smarter with the puck, right? So yeah. part of the wild card with this team is now – without what we know right and we simply don't know what's when we're going to touch on the freshman who may have a scoring touch right but you know when you're getting into division one hockey and again the best conference in all of college hockey that being the nchc there's always you know an acclimation period and you kind of wonder how quickly or how much of that acclimation it will take we saw with jack Pierre last year against second you know round pick of the wild it took him probably i would say half a season to really get settled in um, and if Omaha can do that, that's actually good news for them with how many people they're going to have coming in. But you're going to have to be more reliable defensively because new goaltending, again, haven't played at this level. Um, you don't have, at least from what we know, any like really big time offensive players that are coming in. So it's tough. And two years ago, when I when I talk about that is, you know, they the roster wasn't that different than what we were talking about last year. But 
they had a really good sense of just a suffocating forecheck that maybe didn't create a lot of opportunities, but they wore other teams down. And you kind of wonder if that's a, an avenue they'll probably have to use as an approach this year, at least early on to try to get their players back, not asking too much of them, just trying to get them uh, their feet wet in the NCAA, you know, uh, NCAC. So we'll see. I don't know. That's that's kind of my take on it, is that they're going to have to probably pull the, you know, the proverbial strings back a little bit. But um, if there's any one team that's given other teams fits with size and grit, and then also just having sometimes just a forecheck that wasn't scary in terms of scoring chances, but could, you know, beat you like a pulp on the boards, it was Omaha. And that might be what we see this year. Yeah, I. Uh, um, if anyone is sitting in front of their computer, if you take a look at the keyboard and you look at this thing called a question mark, that's what I see Omaha right now. They're a team that could really finish anywhere. I think we just, a lot of unknowns, similar to what we talked about with Miami, the same number of freshmen with nine for this group. Nick, five forwards, three defensemen, and one goaltender. You tell me a position, and we'll start with the freshman from that category. So let's start with, uh, let's go with forwards. All right, we'll start with the forwards, all five of them here. Uh, first one on the list here uh, is Ray Fust, who is coming from Bellinzona, Switzerland. Um, a big boy, six foot three, 205 pounds, a left-handed shot from the Waterloo Blackhawks in the USHL. Um, played, of course, for them last season, as well as the Sioux Falls Stampede. 50-game split, um, 17 goals, 11 assists, 28 points on the season. I kind of strikes me maybe as a middle six guy, somebody who really can be very physical, but also has a pretty nice release, good hockey IQ. Um, you know, you look at that, he's really the only guy that kind of dots the lineup as far as big forwards. A lot of these guys are, um, they're not undersized, but they're not, you know, six foot, they're not six one, six two. that extra, you know, what you kind of look for sometimes, uh, when it comes to teams looking for those big, tall forwards, but you take the best available. So the next one here, um, Jacob Slipic, uh, who's going to wear number 13 this season from White Rock, British Columbia, 5'11", 180, right-handed shot coming from the Surrey Eagles in the BCHL, four uh, seasons in the BC for the team, um, two of those with Surrey and had 32 goals, 21 assists, 53 points in 67 games for him. Cam Mitchell um, from Stony Plain, Alberta, 5'9", 170, left-handed shot, a bit of a smaller guy again too. Uh, Omaha Lancers in the USHL, two seasons with them. Um, in 122 games, had 57 points. He's an 01 birth year, so he's a bit of a, an older catch, somebody who really kind of took his time to develop a little bit at that level and will now make the jump. Two more forwards here, Nick, and then I'll get your thoughts here on this. Uh, Michael Abgrawl, who comes in wearing number 18 this season from Richmond, British Columbia, 5'7", uh, excuse me, 5'10", 170, a left-handed shot, also from Surrey in the BC Um so uh, 62 points in 71 games uh, for him, 31 goals, 31 assists, pretty pro proficient little score there. And then uh, this one uh, gives me a chuckle. Had some family uh, of this player follow us on social media earlier today and was asking about the freshman player preview. So, of course, we're going to throw it out there, obviously. Uh, Tyler Rollwagen, uh, coming, uh, the Bloomington, Minnesota native, coming from the Fargo Force in the USHL. Um, I will say this uh, for family of Tyler. I do have a friend who is one of the head ice guys down at uh, Shields Arena for the Fargo Force and has commented how nice of a person Tyler is. And then, of course, um, Tyler won't know this, but uh, former St. Cloud State assistant coach Nick Oliver gets set at the helm for his first season in Fargo this upcoming year as well. So a lot of ties there as well, too. Uh, two seasons for them, 23 goals, 24 assists, 47 points, um, and also play with Cedar uh, Rapids uh, the year prior to the last two. 
um, had six goals, 17 assists in that campaign as well, too. So, Nick, you look at uh, Tyler, who's 5'11", 181, left-handed shot, kind of a lot of left-handed shots actually coming in, but kind of the epitome of the size and skill that is coming in to this group. So when you look at these five forwards, minus uh, minus Ray, who's uh, a bit of a bigger fella, um, what is Omaha really trying to do with some of these players? What is the expectation for some of these guys who really kind of have similar builds, similar scoring touches uh, as they enter their Division One play? Speed. Yeah. Honestly, um, if there's anything that, you know, Omaha can do, Right. And that is, you know, you, you can't you can't magically wave your wand and create a goal scorer. But what we can do is sometimes is that you can take up someone that maybe could develop into one. And if they can maybe create some time and space for them by having some good feet, you can develop that shooting side of it as well. And I think with Omaha, too, if we look at Omaha in years past, right, they've been a, a good skating team. Right. But they've been more of the you know, heavy hitting, they'll get there. They're not going to maybe outrun you per se, but to get to that next level again, you know, when you talk about your North Dakota, you're saying called the teams that can really skate and can skate around other teams. Um, just ask the Colorado Avalanche, you know, what skating yeah. can do uh, for your fortunes. Um, <clears throat> it appears that Mike Gavinet is looking for uh, some more foot speed. And I would, I would think, yeah. And if you can get that from your forward group, you can get that from maybe your back end as well. We'll touch on the defenseman here next. But uh, I see uh, a strategy whereas, okay, I may not have the most skill guys, but if I can maybe win a couple of, you know, races to the puck, if I can, you know, wear down folks because of my skating ability, whether that's um, in the offensive zone, if I can use my escape ability um, using my feet in the defensive zone, those are some intangibles that, Often, you know, they don't make the score sheet, you know, but they have a very big impact on the game. And so yeah. to me, that is where it's at. It's the legs, they the wolves. Yes, that's a miracle one. And yes, yep, let's, let's, let's hear the boo birds. I don't care. Um, but that's kind of what I see is that, you know, maybe not, you know, the most highly skilled class, but a class probably can move its feet. And, uh, you know, one with young legs, uh, that, that's going to, you know, still help uh, your fortune as you move forward. Yeah, we're going to talk about the defensive core, like you mentioned, three of them to talk about. I'm I'm looking forward to, as much as I'm excited for some new freshmen to come in, I'm looking forward to some of these teams that only have about three or four incoming freshmen. It's going to be a lot easier to kind of talk about them a little more in depth. So apologies as we are kind of trying to buzz through. But uh, um, this defensive core coming in, these three bodies are going to be a really big boost, I think, to this team here. Um, Griffin Lidke, um, who comes in from Elko, Minnesota, five foot 10, 171 pounds, a left-handed shot from Sioux City in the USHL, uh, won the Clark Cup uh, last season as an assistant captain, spent three seasons there, uh, five goals, 22 assists, 96 career games for him. Um, I don't know if he's a cousin of Josh Ludke, uh, same spelling. Um, it's not his brother. I know that for a fact. So I don't know the answer to that. I, I tried to look, couldn't find it. So for Josh or Griffin, apologies there. But uh, Griffin is headed to uh Nebraska Omaha for his freshman season, along with uh, defensive partners, uh, Joaquim LeMay, who's coming from Quebec at six foot one, one seventy two from the Lincoln stars in the USHL. Um, disgusting um, in terms of points, one 119th overall fourth rounder um, for the Washington capitals. I uh, had 46 points in 58 games this season as an assistant captain with the team. And then uh, Jacob Glevin, who comes in from Drummondville, um, Quebec in his native hometown, 5'11", 182, the right-handed shot playing for Muskegon in the USHL. Three years for them, 118 games, 
102 points, including 89 Ooh. assists and 10 points in the 2022 Clark Cup playoffs. So you want to talk about a player that's going to be a great addition. All three of these defensemen um, really having good experience at the USHL level and also being very productive as well, too, Nick. Um, kind of sitting around that, uh, you know, 5'10", 5'11", 6 foot, 6 foot 1 mark here. So a little bit more speed here. But, Nick, uh, seems like a lot of leaders coming in on the back end and also guys that know how to really uh, uh, dish the biscuit. And you talk about the way the game is trending, right, Noah? It's that you need your defensemen really to be competitive. They need to be two-way defensemen, you know. And you, know, you talk about the assists, right? I think what goes off the score sheet with defensemen is, okay, if these guys can skate, let's let's look at the progression of Nick Perbix a little bit. Um, his freshman year, um, you know, was trying to figure things out. And then, you know, over the course of the next couple of years, not only is he one of the better defensemen, but he knew with his IQ when he could skate the puck out instead of just trying to force a pass. Like he could, again, make good stretch passes. He could make that five-foot pass. He could read the play as well. He could use his feet. Um, he can be involved in the offense. Um, if there's one thing Omaha really hasn't had, last couple of years is really a, a, a possession driving defensive core is that they really haven't yeah. had guys in the back end that were really offensive threats. And so when you bring in this freshman group and granted, those numbers are great. Obviously at the division one level, we'll see if that does translate. I think it would, uh, but let's, let's do this. If you have a freshman four group that has speed and you have an offensively minded driven back end, that's complementary. I think it's pretty obvious what Mike Gavinette and his team are trying to build here, and that is really trying to inject more offensive push from their back end, which, again, helps complement the forward group. And, uh, again, with a bigger freshman class, uh, it might be a bit of a struggle out of the gate as, again, the speed of the game is going to be much more quick. They're going to have to make decisions faster, especially in the back end. I have to be more sure with their pocket and their decision-making. But once they acclimate to that, oh, boy, year two, this team could be taking a major step forward. Um, yeah. And I think that's really where it starts is from their back end. And those three defensemen, again, very efficient, very proficient as well as putting points on the board. That's going to be something to watch. And that actually might be the most exciting thing to watch with this Nebraska squad is how those three def uh, freshman defensemen develop and how they can use those, what seems to be those innate offensive skills to produce and then translate to the division one level. That's going to be fun to watch. And score more goals. That's important from yes. what I was told. Um, yes. some, someone who's trying to make sure that doesn't happen against the Mavericks is the last freshman on this list, Simon Lekotsky, um, who's coming from Trenison, Slovakia, 5'11", 175, actually a southpaw netminder uh, for the Madison, okay. yeah, the Madison Capitals in the USHL, um, was looking to become the first goaltender to get back-to-back -back Clark Cups. Of course, he did win um, in 2020-21 um, with the Chicago Steel, which is interesting because in those 16 games, his GAA was four and his save percentage was eight, nine, eight. Um, before that, or after that, I should say, uh, the last two seasons with the Madison Capitals, he had a three, seven, four and an eight, nine, three in 62 games as well. So those okay. numbers a little bit questionable, but then you look at his international splits. They're really good. I think the teams in front of him, especially Madison, the past couple of years have kind of struggled. So I think you kind of like to take that with a grain of salt. But uh, um, before we get to the schedule in the first and second half and some great listener questions and wrap everything up, uh, very quickly, Nick, uh, just kind of a minute quick hit here. Uh, you got uh, senior Jacob Zab and this freshman goaltender coming in. They've never seen NCAA action as in terms of a start. Uh going to be some growing pains you think oh for sure um you know goaltending and you, know, you talk about you know the positions that develop 
you know, and their timelines. Goaltenders are the latest to develop. Uh, there's no question about that. Uh, the other thing that's questionable, at least for me, is at 5'11", that's not a big goaltender at all. Uh, you know, yeah. just compared to like Dominic Basie, again, the, the Colorado College transfer to St. Cloud State, he's six foot six. Um, I believe Rennick, uh, wasn't he 6'3", 6'2", if I recall correctly. So he's a bit on the shorter side when it comes to goaltenders. But again, um, you know, more importantly, the experience or should I say the lack of experience is going to be huge. And um, again, I think a big reason, uh, Noah, that we picked them to be where they're at is there's a there's some talent here. There's no question about it, but it's going to be yeah. raw and it's new talent and it's going to yeah. take them some time to acclimate um, and to really try to get uh, their feet wet into the Division One and the NCHC. Yeah, I definitely agree here, and that's going to play into some of our listener questions here. In just a few moments here, scheduled for the first half of the season, October 1st, they open with an exhibition game against the Minnesota State Mankato Mavericks. Um, uh, the Mavs and the Mavs uh, facing off, and then the next weekend, they're at home again against Niagara, October 7th and 8th. Following weekend, heading up to Lake Superior before back home against Alaska Fairbanks. Weekend after, traveling to Long Island to finish out uh, their exhibition schedule um, for the most part. And then November 4th and 5th, they get started with some NCHD action. Their first opponent, what a rip-roaring start for them. They're at home against North Dakota. Um, and then the following weekend, heading up to Duluth, and then finishing out the month of November at Denver with another road swing. That's, that's a gauntlet. Oh, yeah. my goodness. Before coming back home against Western Michigan and then traveling to Colorado College before uh, the Christmas break. Uh, second half of the season is their last exhibition games. Uh, a couple of games at home against St. Louis. St. Lawrence, who was a common opponent for them around that time. And then in January, the 13th and 14th, they're at home against Duluth and Miami the weekend after traveling again to finish off January against Western Michigan before coming home versus Colorado College, heading to Miami, facing St. Cloud at home for the only two games that the Huskies and Omaha have this season, and then rounding out the year, heading up to Grand Forks and Ralph Engelstead Arena March 3rd and 4th against North Dakota. So, um, Nick... Yeah, kind of an interesting little schedule here. I think let's just jump right into the listener questions here because I think it'll kind of play into what we've talked about here. And I'll try to combine some of them that I see um, that I see here. Let's start with that exhibition game against uh, the Mavericks. Uh, kind of a little fun one from, of course, everyone's favorite, Caleb Peabody. Uh, will the Omaha Mavericks record be better than the record of the Minnesota State Mankato Mavericks in southern Minnesota this season? No. No? <laughs> okay. You know, no. but I think I think it's interesting, though, how much of that, and we've talked about this before, how much of that do you think plays into conference strength? Part of it, actually a lot of it. Um, you know, I think that for, for Minnesota State, that, you know, we the CCHA, again, it's only its second season. Um, you know, they're not quite as, you know, what we call the parity isn't quite there yet. Um, and also for Omaha, part of, you know, you put them in any other conference, they're easily in the, you know, in the discussion to be winning that conference. There's no question about it. So um, yeah. the record itself, you know, won't be better, but you know, the teams itself, they'll, they'll be, they'll be closer than people think we'll put it to you that way. Yeah. Uh, Max Veach asks, uh, what's the over under on conference wins for UNO this year, limited expectations, but always a dark horse for some upsets. And Derek Felska asked a similar question and said, can Nebraska Omaha challenge somewhere for the NCHC title, or are they going no. to be a middle of the pack team? They're at best middle of the pack, but I would say over under is at eight for me. Um, as far as wins uh, for conference wins, again, I mean the, the schedule. I mean they're bookending their season yeah. with North Dakota. That that's tough. And again, this is a young group, um, and it really is going to depend on how quickly they gel. Um, you know where their skills are at. How you know it's 
there's so many unknowns again with this, but I feel like again with the size of the freshman class um, in, that they have, it's it's going to be a rough go at least record-wise. Uh, they may be this, you know, sort of a, a St. Thomas-esque, maybe, you know, where they, yeah. they sort of build toward the end of the season. But again, I feel like eight is where the bar is set as far as conference wins. It's it's going to be a rough go. Yeah. And again, I think the most important thing to clarify here, obviously, you know, someone's got to be eighth, someone's got to be seventh in our previews here. That doesn't right. necessarily mean that we're we're thinking, oh, we're going to discount Omaha and we hope they don't do well. We, we hope that they well, prove us wrong. You know, we hope that they they well, they do have a good well, season. Well, last St. Cloud would happen last uh, last season in yeah. February. I mean, that's there's one thing. That, and to add to that, Noah, the NCHC, you know, we talk about some of the teams that have been in, historically in certain places in the conference, but Again, this is the NCHC. I mean, we've seen, you know, number eight beat number one and vice, you know, number seven beat number one. We've seen that happen yeah. multiple times. So it's it's not a discount against Omaha at all. This is just such a good conference, especially um, yeah. at the top, that it's just sometimes hard for those who are outside of that top four to really get a crack of the top four sometimes. And, and when you have so much turnover, what Omaha is experiencing, yeah. and in fact, when we talk about St. Cloud, that's going to be something they're going to have to deal with too, with some turnover issues as well. Uh, it just means that they're not a great hockey team because they're they're still good. Again, you take them out of the NCHC um, and you put them, I'll say, hey, we'll put them in the CCHA. They're going to be a, a top contender in that league, no questions asked. It's just it's this that the top teams of the NCAA are just that good and just tough to really break into that top four. Yeah, and that's the thing too, is you hope that if anything, if any of the players or anybody is hearing this and listening to the show, you hope it's motivation, obviously, for them to have yeah. a good season, obviously. Um, you know, and you never know if you get some good goaltending. Again, the goaltending is an unknown that can be a challenging thing, but it might also be a good thing. You don't know what you're getting. You could have somebody catch fire early. Um, you could have some of these freshmen start to get that scoring touch. And as we've seen um from Mike Evanette's staff, uh, and the way that the Mavericks are coached, um, this it, their style is very teachable style, you know, yeah. work ethic, win by committee, gritty style of play, you know, uh, balls to the walls type thing. And, you know, that could vote well all for about effort for Mike Gabonet. It's yeah. all about effort. Yeah. So, uh, you know, it could they could finish much higher than what we have them at right now. Um, let's switch over to uh, a little bit more uh, interesting questions here. Let's start with some players for a little bit here. Uh, Connor Willingham asks, which Omaha player do you see as the difference maker this season? And Eric Zamora says, essentially, who steps up for these guys? And what do you see as the team's ceiling and floor? As a guy who follows college and juniors, this roster, uh, sharp jab here, just seems forgettable for an NCHC team that Ooh. has this many draft picks. So a um, little bit of fire there in that question here, but I kind of wanted yeah. to ask it because – you know, do you feel that way or do you feel there's a couple of guys here that they're going to make they're going to make an impact here? Well, I think the defensemen, the, what we talked about, are going to be the biggest impact players, I think, that are going to really determine where this roster goes as far as, you know, what they can do. Because, you know, you talk about I mean, let's let's take an NHL. Clip. What, what does Kale McCarr do to the uh, Colorado Avalanche? Right. Uh, in yeah. terms of having his offensive ability again, defensively, he's still very reliable um, to me. That's where the advantage lies now. I will say to whoever says they're forgettable, we don't know that yet, right? I mean, yeah. there's, we just simply don't know. Um, again, the biggest counter to this team is that it's just young. We just they're just they're, they haven't played at the NCHC slash NCAA and, Division One level. Yeah, and a lot of people said with Denver, they said Denver was too young last year, and last time I checked, they had a decent run. They were okay. Yeah. So I don't know. You, and that's the thing. You can't write off any, any team in the NCAC. You just can't. 
um, just again, the, the coaches, they all care. They all want to be successful. There's great cultures around all the teams that are there. Um, it's just, again, with, with all the circumstances that Omaha is facing, is it, you can maybe argue it's a bit of an upper, you know, a more of a taller hill to climb, but that doesn't say that they're maybe the Cinderella story next, uh, next, uh, this, the uh, upcoming season. And that yeah. wouldn't surprise me with some of the things that they have. Maybe they do catch fire. Yeah. We don't know. Obviously one of the standout players has got to be a goaltender. You're going to have yeah, to have some have saves. To. I've got three players here that kind of kind of stood out for me. Uh, Jack Randall, who's going to be a junior, uh, or excuse me, was a junior last season, will be a senior, had 20 points last year. Uh, he's a guy, yeah, he's a guy that had a couple of power play goals, and I've always really liked his game. He's going to be a real important leader on this team. Cameron Berg, who's going to be a sophomore uh, this upcoming season, had 23 points last year as well. Um, you know, including 15 assists on the year. He's going to be somebody that I think is going to grow into his own that sophomore season. You know, you don't want that sophomore slump if he continues to stay true to form. It'll be impressive. Right. And then on the back end, uh, the senior Kirby Proctor, I. Uh, 12 points for him last year, like we had mentioned, but just a real good driver of a, that 200-foot game um, is going to have to be a real leader on the back end for this team. So those are a couple of guys that I think kind of stood out for me. Uh, final question here as far as the hockey piece here. Um, Johnny Mack asks, of course, our friend at Fight the Pants, uh, what do they need to do to get over the hump in the NCHC and compete for a home playoff spot? So then Connor Willingham asks back, the bigger issue is how do they actually win a first round series? And then Johnny said, but it seems like are always in the battle for five, six in the NCHC, even with good recruits and veteran presence. What do they need to do to start competing for those top spots regularly? I think with anything with, especially college hockey, they, they just have to be more consistent. I know it seems like a cliche answer, uh, but again, last season, again, you sweep uh, St. Cloud state and mightily handedly. Let's, let's be fair. Um, St. Cloud was, very much a breath in that series at best. Uh, but then the next weekend, uh, if I recall correctly, it didn't end up very good for Nebraska Omaha. There were teams that they beat that were sort of like, okay, this could be a, a springboard, right? For us to continue to you know, keep the train rolling. But then it was almost like they almost shot themselves in the foot uh, yeah. the next week later. So it's, it's trying to, you know, string wins together against good opponents and also trying to ensure that the teams maybe that you feel um, are inferior, and it's not a, a slight to any other team, but I feel like you're the better team, you got to make sure you take care of those victories too. So that to me is where it's at. It's just the consistency week to week, and, and that is what's going to help Nebraska-Omaha. Again, we talked about the other things that are going to impact them this season, but that's really where it starts with them. If they can start stringing stuff together, that's really where the magic can happen. Yeah, and so taking out the non-conference schedule from last season here, Nick, conference games only, so 24 games. Here you go. Loss, win, loss, win in overtime. Win, loss, loss, win. Then they hit the holiday break. Loss, 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 win. Loss, win. Loss, win in overtime. Jeez. Loss, loss, win, win, win. Loss, loss, win. And then they lost two against Western Michigan in the playoffs. Like, just no consistency as far no. as just getting that confidence building of stringing a couple of wins together kind of reminds us of a team a little bit closer to home last season as well too. Yeah. So um, the final thing uh, somebody asked uh, very jokingly, are there any new animals at the Omaha zoo? And some uh, somebody else said that a couple of baby African elephants were born this year and it had never happened in North America until Omaha in 2022. I don't know if that's true or not, but uh, that's all I got. What we do, so <laughs> yeah, that's, that's all I got for got for that. But Nick, as always, we have our final two wrap up things here. Uh, 
what is the ultimate goal for the UNO Mavericks? And if you're the St. Cloud State Huskies, we'll only see this team for one weekend series this year. How do you stop them? So you have to take advantage. And again, this team is going to be a different team from when they take first take the ice or when St. Cloud is going to see them, which is second half of the season. Um, so there's going to be growing pains, um, and that's good for Nebraska. Why that means they're getting better every week. Uh, but the ultimate goal to me would be just to try to get this large, unproven freshman class acclimated, right? Get them into Mike Gabinet's system. The quicker you can do that, the more you can start to, well, get them to play that you want to play, right? Uh, get yeah. the offense rolling. Special teams is going to be critical. Um, so to me, that's where it's at. It's, it's almost like the St. Thomas recipe last year, which is getting them in, uh, getting them acclimated as soon as you can, get some chemistry rolling. Uh, and then start to try to push the game and, and, you know, try to take control after that. So that's the recipe for success. And if you're saying cloud, um, again, you're on paper, maybe the more skilled team. Um, you, you have to be the driver of possession back towards them, right? You have to be, you know, almost exploit their weakness, which is, to me, they don't really have a, a lot of offensive punch. So if you can get good transition hockey out of your own end against Sankle, loves to move the puck north quick. If you can do that and also – just spend time on their off. Just spend time on the offensive zone. I feel like again with um, freshman classes of this size, it's not just on the defenseman, but also unproven goaltenders. If you can get shots on that, you're going to tire them out. You're going to wear them down quick. And then one of the big things where Nebraska, Olmon, and teams like that, the forwards too, they're going to have to play defense. They're going to get tired really fast. So to me, that's where the recipe is for St. Cloud is to just be in you know, the offensive zone and really just keep possession of the puck. For me, when I look at Omaha, I think the answer is get the kids up to speed and get the goaltenders some confidence. Um, mm-hmm. I, I Really, that that's what it comes down to is kind of building for the future a little bit. Obviously, they want to be good this season, but knowing that you've got nine freshmen that are coming into this group here, you're developing the next wave, um, the next yep. wave of babies for this yes. crew, right? And uh, to develop that, you've got to make sure that, yes, can you get them up to speed quickly? Can you get the goaltenders to feel comfortable, especially the freshman netminder um, that's coming in this season? But beyond that, also realize that it is a process. It's potentially um, you know, a one-year, two-year, three-year, even four-year, and potentially five-year process for some of these players to get them uh, to the ultimate player that they're going to be at the end of their collegiate careers um, and know that it might not happen overnight. But can you get them up to speed? Can you get them to a point where they feel comfortable growing and developing and having fun playing the game? and growing don't set the expectation too high for this Mavericks group and then that's where the ceiling is high because they don't have an expectation and they'll start to thrive knowing that the pressure is maybe off of them a little bit even at such a young age so um for St. Cloud uh it would have depended when they played them this season they don't have them until February 24th and 25th so my advice for the Huskies Take what's given and take notes. Take uh, take what's given and what you see essentially going all the way up to the second to last week of the regular season because that's when you're going to get this team. You're going to have a very definitive answer about which one of these freshmen is executing, which one of the veterans is stepping up, and which one of the goaltenders is going to be the answer or maybe non-answer uh, depending on how the season goes uh, for the squad. The other thing that kind of scares me a little bit um, – not immensely, but they only have two goaltenders on their roster. Same with Miami. It's always nice to just have a third goaltender um, in the mix as well, just too. So, yeah, just in case. But uh, so to kind of recap, uh, Miami, we have them at number eight for the upcoming season and the Omaha Mavericks at number seven. Of course, next week, 
we'll have a new participant sitting at number six in the NCHC. I uh, obviously wishing the Mavericks the best of luck in all their NCHC endeavors, except against, of course, the St. Cloud State Huskies. Uh, with that, Nick, that will do it for the main portion of the show. We're going to head on to the extra ice session uh, where we're going to talk a lot about the World Junior Championships coming up this week. Welcome in to the extra ice session. I almost said the World Junior Championship preview, which is what it is going to be. Uh, And I'm Noah Grant, and the other voice you just heard is Nick Maxson, and we're happy to have you along with us as we head into the late hours on Saturday night and into Sunday morning here. Uh, The United States getting ready to do battle in the 2021 World Junior Championship, which is now in August of 2022 because COVID. Uh, So... This uh, has a little bit of slight tweaks just compared to normal years. But other than that, uh, pretty regular here. Ten teams playing in the championship. Uh, The United States in Group B, along with Sweden, Germany, Switzerland, and Austria. Uh, Group A consists of Canada, Finland, the... uh, Chechnya, uh, Slovakia, and Latvia. So Latvia was the new addition to replace Russia, who has been banned from international play. Top four teams advance to the quarterfinals from each group, which will be held August 17th, semifinals on the 19th, championship in third place on the 20th. Uh, No relegation rounds. These 10 same teams are going to be in the 2023 World Junior Championships held December 26th through January 5th of the upcoming uh, winter in Halifax and Moncton as well. So these same 10 teams, we'll see them again. Uh, All games, NHL Network in the U.S., TSN in Canada. The U.S.'s schedule, uh, August 9th, they open against Germany at 9 o'clock p.m. Central Time. August 11th, they play Switzerland at 9 o'clock p.m. Central Time. August 13th, against Austria at 1 o'clock in the afternoon. August 14th, against Sweden at 9 o'clock central time again in the evening as well so um before we get to the rosters here nick um how exciting is it to have some hockey in august this is going to be kind of an exciting chance to see some of the the younger players on the world stage here you know you kind of wonder if the world juniors if they get a little bit more visibility why they wouldn't do it this time of year moving forward honestly um granted you know during the holiday breaks you know this and for those who don't follow the World Juniors, I mean, I believe a fair amount of our audience watches this tournament. If you don't, it is the absolute best showcase of junior hockey talent in the world. It's no question. Um, yeah, there's some lopsided stuff here and there, but uh, at the end of it, you know, it's there's, it's drama. There's big leads. There's leads blown. There's overtimes. There's some unbelievable yeah. talent. Um, it is so much fun to watch, and, I, and I'm actually excited to see you know what especially here in the u.s what sort of attention they get because they really don't get a ton of attention when it's uh during its normal time which is again after the the christmas holiday um yeah. and kind of past the new year but now that it's going to be besides baseball the really only thing that's going on i kind of wonder um if they're going to get a little bit more look and uh, i think if you're a younger hockey fan that's out there uh, definitely pay attention to these games. Uh, you're going to see some incredible hockey and maybe learn a thing or two. It's it's some fantastic uh, thing to watch. Yeah, definitely agree. Um, you know, one of the other things, too, that's going to be really exciting is, uh, you know, not only the fact that hockey is going to be in August, there will hopefully be some fans in the building as well, too. But like you had mentioned, just the opportunity to really uh, get a new spotlight. If you, if you want to go to past historical things, if you want to just – if you've never seen the World Junior Tournament and you want a great example of what it what it looks like, look up the 2010 World Junior Championships, uh, the final game between the U.S. and Canada. Hashtag John Carlson. 
one of the best hockey games I've ever seen to date. Um, so that'll kind of give you an epitome of what this tournament is like with so many great memories, so many great moments. Of course, as we know in Canada, especially, it's almost like a measuring um, stick. Yeah, yeah like it really a, is like a religious uh, deity type, whatever you want to call it. It's a cult following, <laughs> really. It really um, is, yes. So uh, who will Canada be will be going up against potentially if you get to those medal rounds, the Team USA roster. We're going to go through Team USA and Team Canada here, I think, only fitting because we are American. Um, and those are two of the heavy favorites usually each season. Uh, Team USA, the head coach is Nate Learman, uh, coaching Providence right now. Assistant coach Steve Miller from Ohio State University. Chris Mayotte, of course, from the NCHC Colorado College. And Grant Patonley, former Minnesota Golden Gopher, uh, scored a big goal. Uh, at some point, uh, and Northern Michigan uh, so, University, so yeah. yeah, Northern Michigan University for him too. So, uh, three goaltenders on this roster here, Nick, um, coming from Des Moines, Lincoln in the USHL, and the Signal Spirit in the OHL um, as well. So, goaltenders, not really any notables related to the college hockey world. So, but, um, but I will say this: Remington Koppel, uh, yeah. Remington Koppel, I've seen him play. Um, he was part of the 2019 All-Star uh, High School Prospects game that I called. Again, uh, there was two notables, Matthew Gleason, who's a current uh, Colorado College Tiger, by the way. Um, this other uh, player that was notable was Remington Koppel. My goodness, um, his athleticism, even two years ago, um, his ability to track the puck, how he squared, he doesn't give up many rebounds. This kid is good. Um, so, you know, you talk about goaltenders and, and when us uh, team usa i should say has been a gold medal uh, gold medal contender you go back to 2010 uh who was in that for that just just maybe like uh somebody yeah. we know yeah. maybe yeah those yeah. yeah. who are playing the home game his name is john gibson yeah. um so and it, it's one of those where usa when they're when they're good at goal i mean lately the the talent pool for forwards and defensemen has been still very very good that the always big question mark is in that Remington Koppel could be that difference maker. Um, again, uh, just in, in, an incredible work ethic, incredible athleticism. He could be um, that extra piece that Team USA needs to be able to compete with Canada for uh, a World Junior Championship gold medal. Yeah, Caden Emberko and Andrew Oki are the other netminders for the United States. Defensemen, there are nine of them. Uh, Sean Behrens, who's coming from the University of Denver in the NCHC, He's captain. Yeah, he's he's doing all right. I he's hear. good. He's very yeah. good. Uh, Brock Faber, who will be captaining this squad, coming from the University of Minnesota in the Big Ten, had a really great year last year, and is also a Minnesota Wild product now. Uh, part of that Kevin Fiala trade as well. Aiden Hrestchuk coming from Boston College. Luke Hughes from the University of Michigan. Wyatt Kaiser, University of Minnesota Ooh. Duluth, always loved his game. Um, of course, rep- so good. I believe represented the U.S. at the Olympics. Is that right? I believe he did. Yes. Yeah. Um, I could be totally wrong, which it's been known to happen. Uh, Tyler Clevin, University of North Dakota, um, a Fargo, North Dakota product, mind you. Uh, Ian Moore, uh, coming from Harvard. Jack Peer our own from St. Cloud State University uh, and Jacob Truscott from the University of Michigan in the Big Ten. So all the entire defensive core, Nick, coming from the college hockey world in the NCAA. Yeah, and, and you talk about the makeup, right? You've got some of the offensive guys like Brock Faber, uh, Luke Hughes, Wyatt Kaiser, uh, but you also have uh, guys that have some size and have some grit. So you're talking about your Tyler Clevins, who's six foot four, even more six foot three, uh, Truscott, six one, and even Luke Hughes, a little bit more of a 
I mean, he's got size as except for two. I don't know if he's known really for um, his grit, but, you know, there's a good mix of size, skill, as well as some grit there. So I like this makeup, too, with the defensive core. Um, and again, Jack Pierce, uh, who um, who uh, a couple of folks had reached out to me and said, man, uh, he could be a difference maker just because we saw how patient he can be with the puck yeah. um, and just his hockey IQ. Maybe not the best skating defenseman as we see, but one of the better decision makers, and he could be – uh, one of those bottom pairing, you know, steals there for Team USA as they head into the tournament. Yeah, a bunch of college names dotting the forward side as well, as well as a National Hockey League current participant. Uh, oh, yeah. And a couple Ooh. of, yeah, and a couple of under 18 participants and an OHL body in there as well, too. So let's run through it. Uh, Brett Berard, who's coming from Providence uh, in yep. Hockey East. Thomas Bordolo, like you mentioned, who will be, I believe, an assistant captain. San Jose Shark um, currently. Um, and what great oh, timing great. it is what great timing it is for this tournament for some of these younger players who are, are in some of these leagues that have a chance to actually play in the tournament. Right. kind of cool. Um, Logan Cooley, the third overall draft pick in the recent draft, um, going to the University of Minnesota after this for the start of his season. Um, uh, pretty impressive career potentially for him, uh, budding in the making, so to speak. Uh, Matt Coronado from Harvard University. Um, Riley Duran from Providence as well. Dominic James from Minnesota Duluth. Uh, heading in the 2002 left-handed shooter, uh, Matty Nyes, who everyone knows very well from the University of Minnesota, potentially could be with the Toronto Maple Leafs by the end of this season if he has another year like he did last year. Um, mm -hmm. Very impressive. Uh, the second rounder, 57th overall from last year's draft. Carter Mazur, who uh, was drafted in 2021 as well, coming from the University of Denver. He's a Detroit draft pick. Hunter McCone um, from Colorado College. McCone. McCown, yeah, I always struggle with that one. I always I look at it and I know what it's supposed to be, and then I struggle bus hard. So that's kind of the epitome of this show, to be honest with you. Um, <laughs> but uh, um, Frank Frank Nazar, uh, who just got drafted uh, 13th overall by Chicago in the recent draft, uh, he's with the U.S. Under 18 team. Uh, very exciting prospect in 04, one of the younger players on this squad. Uh, Sasha Pasjov, uh, who's coming from Guelph in uh, the OHL. Uh, he's the only OHL um, product that is on this group besides uh, Andrew Oki, who's in net playing for Cigna. Uh, a couple of other names here, only four more to go. Uh, Mackie Semiskovich uh, from the University of Michigan. Semiskovich, yeah. yeah. Oh, boy, is he good. Yeah, Red Savage, who's coming from Miami University. We talked about him a little bit in our NCHE preview for the Red Hawks uh, last show. Him and his brother both playing on that team. I have exciting careers ahead of them in the NCHC. Uh, Logan Slaggart, another assistant captain. Excuse me, Landon Slaggart um, from the University of Notre Dame. Uh, and then Charlie Strommel rounds out from well, U.S. Too. Yeah, U.S. under-18 team. So, Nick, this U.S. club... Um, they look dangerous. And as <sighs> and as we've seen, of course, this is basically the roster from what was supposed to be in the winter. But with that being said, it's it, as time has gone on, and it's not often you get a roster announced and then get to see them play for another two-thirds of a, a year, basically. Um, we've seen some of these guys really grow or got to see their play come to fruition. Uh, this is a U.S. squad that, dare I say, has a chance to make some noise. And dare we say they may be the most talented Team USA roster we have ever seen top to bottom. I don't think really that's out of the question. I mean, with some of the players you have uh, front, back, and even in net, uh, this is an incredibly talented squad. Uh, Thomas Bordalo, uh, Mackie uh, Samoskovich, Logan Cooley, 
Yeah. I mean, Maddie Nice is an unbelievable beast. Brock Faber, again, you can do it both ways, both offensively and defensively. Um, again, a natural leader, again, just recently named team captain of USA here coming up for the August competition. Um, this is this is really exciting. This really is. Yeah. And you talk about how this also favors Team Canada too, right? Where they've gotten a little extra time to develop, and you know, it's they've all these players, right? They've been chomping at the bit to get in and you know get this competition back up and running again. This is going to be, dare I say, one of the more entertaining World Junior Championships we've seen in quite some time. And with the talent pool, not only for these two, but all the others, so Finland, Sweden. Um, you know, just to name a few, Germany is a team that's been kind of on the rise, Slovakia and, uh, and Czechia. Um, yeah. This is going to be a phenomenal tournament. And for Team USA, um, certainly looking like they can make some noise and make a deep run and possibly take home a gold medal. On the other side of the pools, head coach Dave Cameron for the Team Canada roster here. Uh, we'll kind of run through them very quickly, obviously, but a couple of obviously really big names on the Canadian roster, as always. Um Brent Brochu is in net with Sebastian Casa, as well as Dylan Garan. Those are the three netminders that round out. A couple of Minnesota Wild names in here that we'll get to as well, too. Lucas Cormier, Caden Gould, um, Carson Lambos, and Ryan O'Rourke, Ryan O'Rourke, both Minnesota Wild uh, products right now on the back end for this Team Canada. Owen Power, of course, from the University of Michigan, just recently headed to uh uh, as a Buffalo uh, draft pick number one overall in last year's draft. So uh, excited to see what he can do. Uh, I think it was a much anticipated uh, ride for him in this particular World Junior Championship. Uh, Donovan Sabringo on the back end, Ronan Seeley, Olin Zellwinger um, rounding out the defensemen for this Team Canada. Of course, on the forward side, Nick, uh, the name that everyone is going to be watching for the Regina Pats, uh, at least to start the season, could he be traded? We don't know. Connor Bedard. Um, oh the, the potential yeah. number one overall pick in the upcoming 2023 draft. This kid is nasty. He is um, very nasty. Yeah, heck of a hockey player. Xavier Borgolt, um, Maverick Bork, both from the QMJHL, playing for Shawinigan. Uh, Will Kalile, um, Elliot Desnoriers, uh, Ridley Grieg, Dylan Gauthier, uh, and then Kent Johnson um, from the University of Michigan. who's a Only two NCAA players on Team Canada, both from Michigan. Yeah, uh, a Columbus Blue Jacket product. Mason McTavish, uh, great cool. hockey player from cool. Peterborough. He'll be uh, on Anaheim's opening roster for yeah. sure. Yeah, Jake Neighbors, uh, a St. Louis draft pick. Cole Perfetti, who was drafted a couple of years ago from Winnipeg. Uh, Justin Sardif, uh, Logan Stankovan, and then uh, who else? But the Ooh, right, yeah, yeah, the number the number four overall pick uh, in that. 2022 <laughs> draft. So Nick, obviously, I uh, kind of excited uh, don't really know a whole lot other than what we know the schedule is going to be taking a look at some of the rosters here is there anything as we close out the show uh as we give fans a preview essentially that really excites you about this world junior tournament and not only having the world junior tournament but having it at an unconventional time uh, just the showcase of the skill right and i say that not as like what we haven't seen before but what i'm excited about is Let's go back to your comment of 2010. Just the skill level between yeah. this year's squad, 12 years later, and the squad that was back in 2010, it doesn't even compare. Yeah. And why that excites me is that means, especially in the U.S., the game continues to grow and that the talent that we're developing here inside the U.S. borders continues to get that much more elite. And, you know, they're coming from all across the country, too. California, Texas, Florida um missouri um you know just to name a few 
uh, for those in our listening here, I may be thinking non-traditional markets uh, and Logan Cooley, Arizona of all places, right? So, you know, it, it's it's exciting because uh, Team Canada, um, again, they're always a heavy favorite for this tournament, but all these last couple of years, it, it's been whether it kind of a marquee matchup and, you know, whether the U.S. or Canada goes in and win gold, this is the matchup that you look at. And it's kind of the measuring stick for both programs as to where they're at with each other. Um, if you watch any one game or two um, in the World Juniors, you're a hockey fan, you have to watch both Finland versus Sweden, and you have to watch U.S. versus Canada, no matter what it is. Yep. Um, and they often go back and forth. What was it? The uh, I think even last year, uh, U.S. won a, the Ron Robin game. But then again, was it the semifinal matchup? Canada, um, it took USA out pretty, pretty bad. Um, so um that's to me that's to me it's just it's the showcase of skill it's 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 a measuring stick to where our development process is and it just it's just it's so cool to see that you know we're just keen we continue to develop more deeper and deeper prospects pools here in the u.s and that's going to continue to grow the game of hockey and that's really what excites me of course, the year before last, the U.S. winners in that two to nothing victory as well, too, uh, back in I believe 2020. Uh, speaking of that 2010 team, just for uh, um, just for funsies here, Nick, uh, Jack Campbell, John Ramage, David Warsawski, Danny Cristo, uh, oh, yeah. Tyler Johnson, John Carlson, uh, Jason Zucker, Ryan Bork, uh, Jordan Schrader, Chris Kreider, oh, Derek yeah. Steppen, Kyle Palmieri, Cam Fowler. Jake Gardner, uh, a couple of some big names that have played in the National Hockey League. So no John Gibson. Yeah, no, it was Mike Lee. Um, It was Mike Lee, no way. Yeah. So John Gibson must have been 2014 then? Oh, boy. Well, let's look up his elite prospects because we have have resources readily available here. Um, John Gibson. For those who don't know. He single-handedly stole that game. For Team USA, um, in the in the gold medal match, I mean, he literally stood on his head, and that is not a hyperbole. He was unbelievable on that for Team USA. Yeah, and has been unbelievable for the Anaheim Ducks. Has has long been a question mark as to whether he would stay with the team as they're kind of in their own little uh, rebuilding process, so to speak. Uh, the US 18, uh, 2012, 13 is what I have, and 2011, okay. 12, um, and 2010, 11 is uh, so. So um, right after that. Okay. Yeah. So a couple of years after that. So, um, but yeah, as you had mentioned, um, the year that you're talking about is probably 2012-13. He played seven games, uh, a one three six GAA and a nine five five. Cool. Yeah. So uh, decent. Nasty. Decent, so to speak. But uh, that will do it for the show. Hopefully, we just gave listeners essentially a little bit of a preview of the World Junior Championships. I think our next ice session extra ice session we'll probably talk a little bit about what actually happened and what's going on within the tournament itself as well so nick i don't have anything else for the show of course stay tuned for next week we'll reveal the number six spot in the nchc for our previews coming up next week for nick maxson i'm noah grant and we will see you soon in the den Now 
42.6 seconds away from wrapping up the school's first ever title.